welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with your Dana Osben. Hi, your Dana. Hi, how are you? I'm doing okay. Today's daf is Brachot Daf Dalid. And here I turn it over to you. Thanks, Ann. So I think this is a great daf also to get going with our Talmud learning because it's one of the dafs that sort of keeps jumping from topic to topic, agadita to agadita, thought to thought. Um, and I think what I want to focus on is really two small portions on Daf Dalit Amud Aleph that don't seem to be particularly connected. But when I was reviewing the Daf earlier today, I actually thought there was an interesting connection. And it has to do with the idea of sort of admitting that you don't know something and seeing, uh, giving particular examples of leaders when they will admit that they don't know something. So there are two examples of this on this Daf. Uh, the first one has to do with Moshe. So the Gemara is in the middle of a discussion about when Chatzot uh, is, when midnight is, and it's talking about how David Hamelch used to wake up at midnight um, and how would David Hamelch know when it was midnight uh, so that he could get up to learn uh, is because his kinor, his harp would play. And they give a similar discussion with Moshe who goes to B'nai Israel to let them know that they're going to be redeemed from Mitzrayim uh, at midnight. And what does he say? He says, Kachatzot. And the Gemara asks a question, how did Moshe not know when midnight was going to be? Why does he use this language of Kachatzot, which means around midnight, and not specifically midnight? So the Gemara makes the following comment, because they, the Gemara's assumption is, of course Moshe had to know when midnight actually was. They came into Moshe Habayada, since Moshe knew exactly when midnight was going to be, why did Moshe say around midnight? Moshe Kasavar. Moshe thought the following way. And I'm going to read a word, and I, I, I want to own this. This is a total side point. There are sometimes words in Gemara I absolutely cannot pronounce correctly. And luckily, I can use Safaria that has Nikudot. But here the word is, and I got to read it uh, slowly. paro. So he was concerned that the Itztagnine, which is the astrologers of Pyro, would make a mistake. The Yomru, Moshe Badaihu, and that Moshe was a liar. What was it that was going to happen? If the astrologers calculated midnight to be a little bit earlier than Moshe's correct calculation of midnight, what would they say? They would say that Moshe was a liar. And then they quote another, a Amar Mar, the master used to say, meaning I think this is just some type of phrase. It's a, 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 a well-known almost like a proverb. Okay, accustom your tongue to say, I don't know, so that you do not become entangled in deceit. Very interesting Gemara. Essentially what the Gemara here is saying is, is that Moshe purposefully chooses to use a type of language where he's not so specific, right? He says kachatzot instead of chatzot, so that he could not be accused of lying or of being deceitful or of not actually having calculated the correct time of midnight by Paras astrologers. Whether Paras astrologers did this mistakenly or whether they almost would purposefully you know, say, hey, Moshe was wrong and almost give their own calculation. But what the Gemara is telling us is that it was better for Moshe say, to say Aniodea because what would happen, he would somehow get caught up in this web of deceitfulness which is very interesting to see, even though Moshe himself would obviously be telling the truth. A little bit later on in the daf, we start talking about David HaMelech. And they're talking about a pasuk 
where David HaMelech says, L'david shamranafshi ki chasid ane. It's a pasuk in Tehillim uh, that says, keep my soul because I am a chasid, I am pious. And the Gemara basically wants to unpack, was David HaMelech really pious? How do we know that David HaMelech was pious? This is what David said to Hashem. Ribono Shaolam, right? Master of the world. Lo chasidani, am I not, am I not a chasid? Am I not, you know, am I not pious? That all the kings of the um, East and the West, they sit together in groups and they worry about their honor. But my hands are dirty with blood. Why? Because I'm busy, you know, basically paskening halacha to say that a woman is pure to her husband. He's busy with questions, right, of ritual impurity. And unlike other kings who are worried about their kavod, he's actually, as king, right, implementing Hashem's Torah, Hashem's halacha in the world. Below od and furthermore, everything that I do, nimlach. Notice, and this really interesting word here, right? Here, nimlach doesn't mean so much that I, you know, that he, um, uh, that he's king, but it has the same shorash as right mem lamid chaf, but rather that I consult. Who does he consult with? The mifi boshet rabbi. With mifi boshet, my rabbi. Who is mifi boshet? Mifi boshet is actually the son of Shaul HaMelech, Shaul HaMelech, who chased David his entire life and wanted David HaMelech not to be king. And not only that, Mephibosheth probably felt he more had more of a right to be king than David HaMelech. And David HaMelech considers Mephibosheth to be Rabbi, to be his Rabbi. But Omer Lo, and what does David HaMelech say to Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth Rabbi, Mephibosheth my Rabbi. Yafet Danti, Yafet Chiyati, Yafet Zikiti, Yafet Harti, Yafet Mati. Right. Once he would go to him for advice and he would say to him, did I decide properly? Did I make somebody, you know, high up, right, convict them properly? Did I say that they were innocent properly? Did I rule that something was tahor properly? Did I rule that something was tame properly? Very poetically written. And what does it conclude with saying? And I wasn't embarrassed. He wasn't embarrassed to go to his Rebbe. He wasn't embarrassed to go to the son of what one could say was probably, you know, uh, I don't know if we want to use the word enemy, but I guess we could use the word enemy, right? Who was most antagonistic to him during his lifetime, even though that wasn't how the relationship started off. And I think the link between this discussion around Moshe saying, Ani Odea, and David Hamel saying, below Boshti, I was not embarrassed, really struck me on this page. That here we see two leaders that what the Gemara wants to comment on them is this ability to sort of sometimes understand when is it good to say I don't know, when is it good to consult for advice. Moshe understood it was better to not declare that he was right because it would actually end up getting him into trouble later with the astrologers. And here we have David Amalfa saying, you know why I'm really a chassid? Why I'm really pious? Because first of all, I'm busy in a way that other kings are not. I'm not worried about just being king and, you know, my kavod. I'm actually working as a king of the Jewish people to implement Hashem Talachan Torah in this world. But not only that, I double checked. I wanted to make sure that I was correct. And who did I do this with? Mifi Boshet Rabbi to, you know, Mifi Boshet, my Rebbe, someone who you would not think would be his Rebbe. And the Gemara has an interesting discussion afterwards about how Mifi Boshet gets his name. But 
in, what I want to focus on here is this idea of the low boshti. So I'd love to hear, Anne, what you think about and what strikes you about lo yadati, the low boshti. This well, idea of saying, I don't know, and I'm not embarrassed. Okay, so I think that Chazal are doing something fascinating here. Namely, I think that both with Moshe and with David, they're basically turning who these you know, people, who these leaders, heroes of the Chumash are. Because, for example, Moshe Rabbeinu is known in his role in Chumash for being exceedingly right, right? Meaning he functions with righteous indignation and he, you know, goes out of his way to often to save people, right? But his temper sometimes gets the better of him when he, he knows what is right. So when he here is taking, when they, they come to say, well, but he was able to say that he was wrong. It's a really important twist on the biblical personality that we see in the Chumash of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, David, right? So David HaMelech was known as a warrior king, right? That his hands were too bloody for him to build the Beit HaMikdash. It had to wait for his son, Shlomo. And here, the, again, Chazal take that bloody-handed King David and turn it on his head and say, no, no, no. He was a righteous person, not because he, he turned to Hashem, not because he was righteous in his activities, but because really he was a Baal Halacha. Really, he was a posek. He was involved. The blood wasn't warrior blood. It's not that he was um, out there in battle, but because he was assessing the intricacies of Tzara which I, I'm not saying that David was not, but it's an interesting take on, again, when you read David in the Navi, that's not who you encounter. Um, so I, I think that this point of, and look, these people who who never, oh, and I'm sorry, one more point about David is that, you know, he's also the guy who covers his tracks, you know, at least that one time with Batsheva and Uriah Chiti, and he he does tshuva very dramatically and profoundly in the Navi, but he also is the one who first goes out to say, okay, I know I was wrong, but I'm going to make sure that nobody else knows that I'm wrong. So when he has that trait and it comes out that he's able to say, yes, I was wrong, but it's in a very different context, let's say, than this presentation of, of Chazal, which, so I find it fascinating. And I'm sure there is much more to discuss here. I just wanted to um, mention some things that I, I agree with you about this daf. There is so much here. I had a hard time kind of honing in on what, did, what question did I have for our listeners. And I, I found one, but, but I want to just touch on a few things that I found along the way also, because more so than these previous two dafim, I found myself weighing each line, like, do I want to talk about this? Do I have anything to ask about that? Is there discussion to be had about the other thing? You know, and I passed by what jumped out for you. I said, well, okay, that's not for me. But I found myself wanting to ask all of you, meaning all of our listeners, about the halachot that are derived from biblical verses as compared to log logical deduction, right? The Gemara is explicit that that is one of the topics on this page. And then I said, oh, let me consider the statement that so many of us learned so young that if you say ashray, Right, the Gemara calls it Mizmor Ladavid. If you say Ashrei three times, you say it with Kavana, you'll merit Olam Haba. So I've actually always thought that that piece, that discussion, merits more attention. But I moved on from there as well. And instead, I'm going to leave you with a question about what appears to me to be the underlying, you know, big important theme of this daf, or perhaps daf bet. I mean, Amud bet. It's one that appears in halachic discussion and less so in philosophical or theological discussion. But I think that's really what it's all about. Namely, the obligation to juxtapose or attach geula 
redemption, to tefillah, prayer, right? There are communities in the Orthodox world that speak of Geula a great deal, to understate it, right, a great deal. Um, the beginnings of redemption. We talk about the state of Israel in that context sometimes, or some people do. I think we may have a ways to go, but fine. There are other communities where they wait for the redemption the way Beckett waited for Godot, and they carry on with their religious lives, including juxtaposing Geula and Tefillah, without focusing too much on our current era and whether it carries any overtones of redemption at all. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm saying that there's different religious orientation to what is our current reality. But halachically speaking, we have a practice. Namely, we mention redemption in a practical example in the blessings of Kriyat Shema, and then we pray, right? We say the Amidah, or the Shemon Esri, if you prefer. This is the basis. It is maybe the explanation even of that, of that order of davening Amidah directly after the, the brachot of Kriyat Shema. The Gemara here discusses this requirement for the proximity here, and what happens if you don't have it? So my question is, why is this proximity so critical? Like, if there was an interruption between the Birkat Kriyashma and then the Amidah, would it diminish our seriousness in praying for Gula? It might, but I, I'm asking. If we daven first and then mention Gula, wouldn't that itself attest to our seriousness about redemption? Namely, we daven and then we have certainty that Gula is on its way. What does it mean to attach redemption to prayer, Gula to Tvila? We'd love to hear from you, but that's our daft discussion for the day. Please subscribe or hold on and keep coming to the links till we can get you proper subscription information. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you so much, Anne. That was really a great question. Um, it's making me think about, is the Gula the goal of our tefillah? I don't think so. Uh, we'd love to, again, to hear from you know our listeners what they think about that question. Uh, we love talking Talmud with you. And until tomorrow's death.